Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Hebrews. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to share with you a pretty big announcement. Next month, I will be transitioning into a new role as the lead pastor of Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. Thus, I will no longer be the pastor at Creekside. There's a lot that has led to this change, but it suffices to say that it's clear that this is the next step that God has for me, my family, and even Creekside. This means that it won't be my sermons that you hear on this podcast anymore. Some of you have listened to our sermons for years and years. I want you to know that I appreciate it so much, and I really hope that you'll continue to do so. Matt Canary, who preaches for us often, you maybe have heard him on this podcast, will be the interim pastor. He's a great preacher. I'm also sure that whoever is the next lead pastor at Creekside will be a great communicator too. Our church values impactful preaching of the Bible. At the same time, I'd love for you to continue to listen to my sermons. You'll be able to find those by going to pathwaychurch.net. They don't send their sermons to podcast yet, but hopefully soon. This is a big change, but the goal of Creekside and the goal of these sermons has not changed one bit. And so with that in mind, I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, everybody, uh, this is my last sermon as the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. And uh, thank you, thank you. Finally, uh, they're done. No, uh, we got 2G giving me a hard time. I got my grandma crying during every one of my sermons, uh, you know. And if you were to just watch my grandma the last few weeks while I'm preaching, you would just assume that it's the last time you're ever going to see me. Um, that's the way she's acting. It's funny because I think that probably uh, moving the extra 30 minutes away, I'll probably see my grandma again. I'm just assuming uh, if she cries every time I see her, then that, I'll be on the fence maybe about that. But uh, this is the last Sunday preaching. I'm looking forward to next week. It's going to be a strange thing. And I actually told my wife, I really don't, feel like I deserve having people say encouraging things. And, uh, and I, it was not my idea. I feel like you deserve that if you retire at a place. But, uh, but I'm looking forward to spending that little extra time with you guys and all of those things. It's been interesting. Uh, as, I, as I sat down to write this sermon, what do you say? You know, I mean, all of these years, all of these sermons. In fact, my first sermon uh, that we recently put onto our, uh, at Creekside, my very first sermon, actually ever in, in big church, I'll put that in quotes because we're not a big church, but, but like my first sermon I ever preached on a Sunday morning church service uh, just popped up on my, on my radio the other day because my Apple music was scrolling through songs and somehow that's saved in my Apple music. And we just not that long ago put it onto our church's podcast. It's like a vintage sermon. And uh, it's wild to think, you know, 18 years ago, I'm preaching this sermon and I, I, I sound all angry and all of those things. And uh, it's just, it's just weird. My voice sounds different. I talk about my great grandma being alive, which she's been dead a long time now, almost 17 years, I think. And just so interesting to think about all the life that's come and then what do you preach about? And in fact, I was reminded of how much life has come and gone as I sat down to write this sermon this week, I was sitting at Starbucks, which is a very normal place for me to be sitting when I'm writing sermons. And I've spent 
years at that Starbucks sitting there working on things for church. And because of that, there's been a lot of people that I've gotten to know through the years just by being there. And then there's other people that I've just seen through the years. And as I started to write this sermon, there was there was a man there and he was standing, I was sitting and he was standing at the cash register. I don't know if you say that anymore, but where they, uh, at the front where you buy stuff and, uh, and, and uh, he's using a walker. And I don't know this guy at all, but I've seen him for years. And as I'm working on this sermon, I just, th- I just thought, how much life has gone? There's this guy that he was probably, I'm just guessing, and if he ever hears this, sorry if I'm wrong, but he's about 75 years old, and I'm thinking he was 58, probably still working, hasn't used a walker, and now as I finish at Creekside, here he is as this, this pretty old man. It's very different, and there's this other guy that I've seen through the years, and him and his wife are always at Starbucks, kind of part of the old person crew that sat there before COVID all the time, and uh just prior to, to COVID starting, uh, she had cancer. I was never told that, but you could see that she had cancer. And, and she's, not, she's not with him anymore. And I don't know if she's living. And, and I saw him at that same Starbucks not long ago. And I just, it just reminded me of how much life has come and gone for me at this church, working at this church. Uh, 18 years. Uh, I went to... Wilsonville High School's graduation a couple of weeks ago, and it struck me that those kids were born the same year that I started working at this church. That's a wild thought for me. Uh, Didn't make me feel like a young person, I can tell you that. But yeah, this is the same graduating class, depending on if they're young or old, you know, in their grade, uh, that, that would have been born. Uh, one of them's about to walk in the door, actually. Uh, a little awkward now that you're all going to watch them walk in. But Elijah, uh, who's Bryn's cousin, my cousin by marriage, was just a little kid when I started working at this church. He babbled, don't tell him I told you this, but he like that all the time when he was a little guy. Uh, and he just graduated. And, and so when I came here as a 15-hour-a-week youth pastor uh, to today, it's just crazy to think about how much life has been lived. In fact, I've gotten married. I've become a licensed pastor. I completed my master's degree. I was ordained here. I had two kids. We won a C-League softball championship. I mean, I've really lived here uh, at at Creekside Bible Church. There's been a lot that has happened here. I I looked up the 2005-2006 Blazers, and and I'll tell you, it's like we've gone back in time. They were awful, and now the Blazers are going to be awful again. Let me just, I'm just going to say some names to you. Uh, I, I know many of you don't care. Matt will maybe care. Uh, we had guys like Zach Randolph, Travis Outlaw, Steve Blake, Martel Webster, Sebastian Telfair, Juan Dixon, Darius Miles, Joel, Joel Pres- Joel Presbilla. I can't even remember how to say the guy's name. I mean, a lot's changed. Uh, that was the jailblazer era, or at least coming out of it, a lot has changed. And so what do you stand up and preach at the end of all of that? And I'm just going to do what I've always done. I'm going to turn your attention to the Bible. And, and my goal here is uh, the reason that we're finishing today and I'm not preaching next week despite being here is, is I just want to remind you at really what the church ought to be about. This church is going to look very different in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, this church will 
uh, continue to glorify God. I believe that. Continue to be a great church, but it will look different. It will take on a different personality and it will have different focuses. But I hope that these things are still a part of everything that this church does. And and I hope that these things are a part of your life. And so uh, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21, that's where we're going to finish. Uh, we've done, and Daniel mentioned this earlier throughout this series, and I don't know if you've really even paid attention to him, but for our corporate prayers, we've actually prayed the prayers of Paul, some of the prayers of Paul for the church in the New Testament. And it was really fun to actually look those up for me. It was really uh, an intriguing thing to do. I think a whole sermon series could be devoted to what Paul prayed for the churches that he wrote to. What were his prayers for them. And that's really what, that's what we've been reciting. We changed them to be corporate language instead of him saying, I pray this for you. We've said, you know, we pray uh, and all of that. But, but what we do today is look at his prayer for the church in the book of Hebrews. And I think it's really instructive for what the church and maybe what our lives even should be about. Before we look at it, let me just catch you up to speed. If you haven't been around, we've, we've gone through the book of Hebrews. There's a handful of passages, not that many, but there's a handful of passages in the book of Hebrews that are about kind of the corporate church, the we together church, not what I do as an individual, but what we need to be about. And so we've seen that the churches, we should be encouraging one another every day. That's a command in the book of Hebrews. Then Matt preached something, and I still haven't listened to it. Sorry, Matt, but I'm sure it was good. So whatever Matt said, uh, that, that was in there. And then, and then we saw that we need to love each other, show hospitality to strangers, and then remember those that aren't with us, specifically persecuted Christians. Churches need to be about that. And then last week, we saw that we need to have leaders in churches that are exemplary in their godliness. They live lives for Jesus that we should be able to follow. They should be an example to us. We should follow their example. We should trust and submit to our leaders and we need to be praying for our leaders. And then we have this great, great finishing prayer. Here's what one uh, commentary writer, John Owen said about this prayer. It is a glorious prayer, including the whole mystery of divine grace, both its origin and the way it was brought through Jesus Christ. And he prays that the fruit of all he had instructed them about may grow in them for the substance of the whole doctrinal part of the letter is included here. The nature of prayer of the prayer itself shows that it came from a spirit full of faith and love. What this guy's saying is in just two verses, little short, you know, kind of baby prayer. In just those two verses, he in some ways encapsulates the theology of the book of Hebrews and as an extension of that, how we should live our lives in response to kind of the theology that's been laid forward in the first, you know, uh, 12 chapters of this book. And so with all that in mind, listen to these words, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the covenant, eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
there's so much in this little, you know, this little teeny section, this thing that Paul prays, this would be, you know, something I would want to pray for you. And I will pray for you as I finish up my time here. But there's so much that I think it just makes sense to, to really briefly look at it phrase by phrase, because I think phrase by phrase, if we just look at this, we'll see so much that is important for us, important for us individually, important for this church, important for this transition, important. It's very important. So let's just start with this. May the God of peace. Now, in the New Testament, and we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It gets uh, talked about a lot. It gets debated a lot. Um, And so uh, just have that in mind. And then I'm going to say this, uh, that Paul makes a big deal about God being a God of peace in his letters that he writes in the New Testament. Uh, He describes God as the source of peace too. Now listen, it's five times in, in his New Testament letters, he calls God the God of peace. He gives that God that title, the God of peace. But In 12 of his 13 letters that he is responsible for, that the Holy Spirit led him to write in the New Testament, he talks about God being the source of peace. When I saw that, something really kind of funny struck me. In the modern New Testament church, the peace that God brings, I think is a really underrated subject. We talk about God's grace. We talk about God's love. We talk about God's forgiveness. But I don't hear or get the sense that a lot of Christians today care that much about the fact that God wants to bring them peace. Peace, really just the the absence of strife. It's described as coming to us through God and through Jesus in three ways in the New Testament. First, we can have peace with God. And so the first way that we have peace is that there's no more this tension between us and God because of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus brings about through his death on the cross. We can have a relationship with God. It describes it this way. It's pretty crazy. That we go from being enemies of God to being children of God when we come to faith in Jesus. That's a big deal. There's peace there, right? We, we, we don't have peace with our enemies, but hopefully if things go right, we have peace with our fathers. But the New Testament also talks about how we can have peace within. That this peace isn't just with God, but when we have peace with God, then it gives us peace inside. Uh, The New Testament talks about having peace that transcends all understanding. That's something I've clung to through the years because sometimes life just brings circumstances that should lead to anything but peace. It should lead to turmoil and fear and, you know, animosity and worry and anxiety. And, And here's the thing. With God, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we can have peace even when our circumstances are terrible. I just look at our country right now, frankly, and there's a couple of epidemics in our country. Loneliness is one of those, but one is anxiety. Uh, Like everybody has anxiety issues today. Everybody, it seems like. And I just wonder if there's a reason for that. And the reason might be in my mind that our nation moves away from God They move away from God, a relationship with God, the truths of God, the morals of God. And as we do, as 
it does, the anxiety levels go up. And to me, it seems so clear that if peace is found, internal peace is found in a relationship with God, then, then how could we not expect for more and more anxiety and worry and stress to go up as the nation rejects the God who can bring them peace? But there's this other thing. We can have peace with others. Man, that's one thing I, I like about church so much is that uh, in our context here, and I know this doesn't always happen in churches, but people from different backgrounds, with different interests, with different personalities, we, we come to this church and we get along and we've had a good time together, not because of some great effort on our parts, but because God brings peace between different groups of people. In fact, often when the New Testament talks about peace, it talks about it in terms of like the Jews and the Gentiles being you know, brought together through Jesus. And so not only do we have peace with God and peace within, but we have peace with others. And I really hope that this will always be a church of peace. I hope, I mean, obviously you'll have peace with God if we, because we'll be have Christians here, right? But I hope that you'll have peace within. I hope even as I leave and you go, hey, what's next? What's next? What's next? We'll, we'll you know, have peace, like, because God is in control of this. You can have peace that transcends all understanding and continue to be at peace with each other, especially as you go through transitions. Transitions can bring about arguing and fighting and difficulties and strife and struggle and all the other synonyms for, for things not being quite right between people. But when you follow Jesus, there should be peace. And then it says, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. In this little statement, we, we have in some ways the entirety of the book summarized, the entirety of the book of Hebrews, but not only that, we have the entirety of the book, of the gospel, excuse me, summarized. It talks about Jesus' death and resurrection. And by the way, it describes it in terms of an eternal covenant, which is probably a, a, a word for the new covenant. Uh, there was an old covenant, a covenant made with Moses, and this old covenant in large part was based on people fulfilling the law. But Jesus came, he fulfilled the law within himself, he died as the, as the perfect righteous savior, and out of that springs forth a new covenant. That we can have a relationship with God that, yes, is only based on His grace. That was always true. Only based on His love. But it is no longer based on our ability and willingness to live out the law. It is based on Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and our connection to Him and His perfection. And so we have this eternal covenant. The other covenants were always meant to be temporary because they were going to be superseded by the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus brought about by his life and death and resurrection as we see here. Hebrews 9.12 says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, the obtaining, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The, the book of Hebrews wants you to know that this new covenant is far better. And part of what makes it better is that we don't have to sacrifice animals day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, because Jesus died once and for all for the sins of people. That's why Hebrews 7.22, that's one of the reasons that Hebrews 7.22 describes it as a better covenant. We as Christians 
we who are Christians have come to believe, we've come to a new and better and eternal covenant. We've come to believe that Jesus came to die for the sins of people. But not only did he die for you and my sins, he also came back from the dead. Notice the statement about resurrection there. And because of that, we have salvation. We have a relationship or can have a relationship with God. And all we have to do, all we have to do is come to believe in Jesus for our salvation. That's it. And so he reminds us of how much better Jesus is. And if you read the book of Hebrews, he's better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better. He's the son of God. He's better. And what he did for us is better than any death of any lamb or calf could ever have been because he saved us once and for all. He saved those of us who will place our faith in him once and for all. And then it describes him, that great shepherd of the sheep. I love that. The great shepherd of the sheep. You can't read it without thinking about Psalm 23. If you've been around church for a long time, I'm going to read this in the King James version and it might not even be right up here. I, I put it in King James because that's how I memorized it as a kid. It's hard to, there's a couple of passages in scripture that's really hard for me not to break free from, uh, and that makes it sound like I hate it, but you know, like to not read it in the way that I grew up knowing it. But the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. That's not the King James. I thought I had switched to the King James, but I apparently did not. But here's the deal. Knowing God, Jesus is our great shepherd, reminds us of several things that are so important for all of life. First, that he is superior to us. That's maybe not the first thing we think of, but we all know that shepherds are superior to sheep. Sheep, from everything I've ever been told, are dirty, disgusting, stupid little animals. And when the Bible describes us as sheep, it's not necessarily a compliment, but more important than looking at ourselves and thinking, I'm stupid, woe is me. We should look at the shepherd and recognize that he is far superior to us. And that means that he is our guide and we should listen to him. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have made a decision that seemed right, but ended up being wrong? When we listen to Jesus, we never make the wrong decision. I've said to my kids about this new job that I'm about to have, even if I go there and we hate it and they hate me, and I've been there for a year and they fire me, we'll still know that we did the right thing because it's what God wants us to do. It's that clear to us. It really is. And I would hope that we'd make all of our decisions that way, that we would just know and follow hard after Jesus. It also means that we can trust him to take care of us. Shepherds do that, right? He provides for us. He protects us. We can trust that. We can trust that he will give us all that we need and that he's there fighting for us and protecting us. I think this is the perfect phrase for what comes next in our church, this church. You should know that the word pastor and shepherd are actually the same Greek words. I think that's really important for you. And really when the Bible talks about pastors, leaders of the church, what they're describing is an under shepherd, a phrase that gets used quite a bit. Uh, a shepherd that's simply trying to do what the great shepherd is already doing in your life. Every pastor in the 
earthly sense and the church sense should be just doing their best to follow the great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, doing the things that he knows that they would want him to do. The fact is this, that the real shepherd of this church has never been me. I've been around a long time, but it's always been Jesus. He is the one that's taken care of us. He is the one that has provided for us. He is the one that has protected us. It's always been Jesus. I'll just tell you one example of that is, is just the finances of this church, except for really this year. Uh, every other year, this church has been in the black. I'm not, we've had good financial people, but that's never been something that I, I've never, you know, I hardly ever asked for money. We've never stood up and had giving campaigns. We've never really talked about tithing in this church. And yet the money's always been there and it comes in the weirdest ways. Um, you know, people dying, people getting inheritances, uh, people coming into money in different ways. It's always been there for us. And it would be easy for, for, you know, it's on, I could put it on my resume. We've always been in the black. You know, we weren't before I started, we've always been in the black, but it would be far better of me to just look at Jesus and go, you've provided for this church year after year after year after year after year. It had nothing to do with me. I hope that this will always be a church that looks to the great shepherd. Yes, submit, respect, uh, pick the right leaders, you know, follow them, all of that stuff. That's so important. But remember that the real shepherd that is caring for us, protecting us and providing for us is Jesus. Jesus himself in John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus proved that he is the great shepherd by dying for your sins. And why would we not trust him to continue to care for this flock? Now, here's what's so fascinating about this prayer. And I think we would do well to learn uh, from this in our own prayer lives because there's a place for this. And I tried to become a better prayer through the years. But, but uh, Paul, to this point, about halfway through this little mini prayer, he hasn't actually asked God for anything. He's just described God. And, and so many of us, our prayer lives just sound like a list of needs. And that's good. We should bring our needs before God. But there is a place. And in fact, there is a clear teaching, I think, in the New Testament that part of our prayers should just be expressing adoration to the God whom we are praying to. I, I think that that's important because God deserves it. I also think it's important because it reminds us of who we're actually bringing our requests to, right? I mean, if, we're, if it's you know somebody that can't help us, then it's going to be really hard to show up and pray every single day. But when we're constantly reminding ourselves through glorifying God of how great he is, when we remember that we are praying to the great shepherd of the sheep, and I happen to be one of those sheep, then it's very easy to say, oh, by the way, here are the needs that I have today, God. Because we trust that he can do something about it. And we trust that if it's really a need, and if it's best for us, then he's going to do something about it. But now Paul transitions, and here's what he asks. This is really what he wants from God for the church he's writing to. Equip you, may this God equip you with everything good for doing his will. Now, the word equip here is, it doesn't seem laissez-faire in its choice. It doesn't seem random because this word has been used a few times in the book of Hebrews already. Uh, Hebrews 10.5 
It's actually the word for Jesus' body, uh, that God prepared a body for Jesus. Prepared, same word, equipped a body for Jesus to come and do his work. Hebrews 11.3, it, it talks about the world being formed or equipped that God created. And what's so interesting here is that we see these two major themes. You would say, wow, these are big themes. Creation and salvation. Uh, that God created the world and that he came to save people. These are really big themes. And now it seems that what Paul is praying is that we would follow kind of in the same pattern and take the next logical step, and that is to do the work of God. God has created and saved, but he hasn't done that so that we can just sit around. He's done it so that we may live for him. I would say it this way. There's creation, there's salvation, and the natural, normal next step is dedication, our dedication to God. There's creation and salvation, and now we need to be dedicated. We should have dedication to our God. He, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's important, right? I mean, why, why does this church exist? Well, well, one of the things is to do the work that God has called us to do. And in fact, to equip the people within the church to do the work that God has called them to do. I'll come back to that in a second. But there's another thing that's important here. Uh, Jesus, in Hebrews 10, 7, it tells us, was all about doing the will of God. If we are going to be a church, if you're going to be a church that follows hard after Jesus, then the goal should be doing the will of God. That's what Jesus was about, and that's what we, as his body on earth, should be about. One of the things that I've tried over the years to just make so clear, and I think if you've been around me very much at all, then, then it has been made clear. What, we, what we've tried to be about, what we've tried to do is simply be a church that does the will of God. The normal, modern, American way in church, and I hate this, is to do it. This is what we do. This is what we're about. Doing the things that seem to work. Doing the things that the big church is doing. Doing the things that we really like. But I've done my best. I have done my best here to say, let's be different. And that we're just going to ask the question, what does God want from us? What does God want us to do? That's what Jesus was about. And we should be about that too. And a lot of times that'll look like a lot of other churches. That's fine. I mean, there's a lot of good churches out there, but sometimes it will lead us to doing things that are just different. I'll tell you one we've been doing here is trying to get people to pray together. That's not super comfortable for modern American Christians, but it sure seems like something God would want us to do. And so whether people come in and go, well, that's uncomfortable. I'm never coming back or not. That's that's just not important. What's really important is that we're doing the will of God. If it makes for a smaller church or in our history, what it's done is grow us less slowly. That's okay because we need to be about the will of God. And by the way, uh, we think about equipping. Well, one of the ways that God equips his church for the work that he wants is through 
leaders. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, one of my favorite church verses. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal for the church and pastors and other leaders. Their job is to be a part of the work that Paul is praying for, the author Hebrews is praying for in this passage that the people would be equipped for the will of God to do the will of God. And then it says, may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I really wanted to preach this passage today. I wanted this to be my last one because of that line right there. Um, I want you to remember that the whole goal of all of it is to please God. We should be trying to figure out what his will is and then we should be doing it, right? Like that's the, that's the thing. You try to figure out and do God's will, but the goal in our hearts is to please the God who has saved us. That's the goal of it all. And as a church transitions, you can lose sight of the goal. You can make decisions about, you know, what's pragmatic. Um, what makes sense? What do I like? What do you like? What do they like? Uh, you're going to get a survey here at our church in a, in a couple of weeks asking you some questions. And, and I think that's the right decision. I think the, the ministry leaders have done a great job of hashing that out and asking the right questions and all of those things. And, and that's going to be valuable information to them as they work to make this transition happen. And so make sure you fill that out. Make sure you do that. It's going to be important. But none of those questions are going to be like, do you like it this way or do you like it that way? And the decisions that are made based on those surveys are not going to be, because I know our ministry leaders, it's not going to be like, who likes what? And can we get a popularity contest in here? It's not going to be that. It's going to be about what God wants because the goal is to please him. It's not to please you. Church is not so that you like everything or you get, you know, happy. Like, this is exactly what I like. And people that treat church that way, by the way, they have terrible church experiences. They bounce from one to another and to another. And one of the things I've been thinking about as I finish here is how sad it is that some of the people who have left through the years have not got to experience the deep level of relationship and church that I have by simply being here. And far too many left our church for another one and left that church for another one and left that church for another one. They seem to follow each other around. I could tell you the church they're at right now. It's the latest and the greatest, the next popular one, the next biggest one. And it's just not close to what I think the gift of church can be for people who stick it out together and strive to do the will of God because they want to please him. And it reminds us that as we aim to please him, the, the other goal, the extension of that is God's glory. That, that Jesus would be glorified forever and ever. The greatest change that I ever made at this church was, was basically changing our mission statement. It was such an easy thing to do. It was so simple and so small, but some of you know this story. If you've been to the 
membership class that we do. You've probably heard this story, but um, 2015, 2016, somewhere in that, uh, those years, our church was growing. It was, uh, things were going well. We had really felt like we had turned around the church that I began pastoring, this little dying church. And, and I felt this great discontent in my soul. It seemed like we had become too like every other church. The, the churches that in some ways I didn't want to become like. And I would sit with Brandon, who served faithfully with me here for many, many years as our music person. And I'd sit at our weekly meeting and Brandon would sit there and just listen to me, just, just blabber about how it seemed like something was off. Like I've led us somewhere and I'm not sure that it's where I wanted to lead us. And I don't really know what it is because it seems like we're doing the right things. and We're being obedient to God as far as I can tell. And I just don't, I just don't know exactly what's off. And he would just, I'd just go on and on and on like that every week for a while. And I don't know how it happened, but one day I just figured it out. The goal of this church is about impacting lives, and that's great. We want to impact lives. But that is not what it should be. The goal of this church should be to impact lives because we want to see God glorified. And as soon as I figured that out, we exist to help people experience and express God's glory. As soon as I figured that out, it changed this church in a way that was so beautiful. I think God blessed it in many ways. We grew much faster, like from that moment on almost, from that time at Starbucks on. It, it, it had, there was more fruit, but I don't think the fruit was really what mattered in the whole thing. It was that our intent became the right one. It was about God and not about people. And yes, we love people, right? That we're supposed to love people and love God. It's the two greatest commandments. We love God and love people, not in the order I first said. We love God and we love people. That should be a part of it. The Great Commission is a part of what a church does. We need to be making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to do all that God has called them to do, all that Jesus has said that they need to do. We need to be about those things. They're people driven. But what's the point of it all? It's that Jesus would be glorified. That has to be the goal. And I just want to say that no matter what happens next, don't go back to where we were in 2015 or 2016 and make this about reaching the most people or, you know, impacting the most lives. Yeah, impact lives. That has to be a goal. That's what we're aiming for every Sunday. We want to impact lives. Why though? Why? Because we want to please our God so that he gets the glory. That is the ultimate aim of the church. There's this, this incredible thing. This isn't on my list. I'm just, I have a few minutes left preaching at this church. And so I say what I want. Um, there's this phrase in the, in the book of Hebrews that, that the church should be the proclaimer in the heavenly realms. What we do as a congregation goes far beyond just people getting a little bit better. I mean, the church 
exists for the glory of God. And, and it's in ways we can't even see. I mean, they're the, the dark forces like the, and the good forces, things we can't see, the spiritual realm, our job is to declare in some way that I cannot understand or fathom or you know even begin to explain in some way, our job is even to glorify Jesus in that spiritual realm. That cannot be measured, but it needs to be the aim of our church. Simply said in this passage, what this passage is about is that God is good and great and our goal should be his glory. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying that this church, I think, well, he's just recognized, he's just recognized whoever wrote Hebrews, he's recognizing God's goodness and God's greatness. And then he's saying the goal here is that we please him, that we do the work that pleases him. He's our peace and our savior and our shepherd and we should be praying for him to equip us so that we might glorify him in all that we do. I'll just say, as I finish here, that if I were to show back up in 10 years and there was 10,000 people attending this church, but it sure seemed like growing or reaching more or seeing, getting more eyeballs on the internet, you know, achieving the algorithm was the goal of it all. I would be terribly sad. But if I were to show back up here in 10 years and there was three or four people left, they were gathering together every Sunday and aiming to bring glory to God through everything that they did, I would be extremely happy because that's the point of the church to please our God through our works because of the great things that he has done so that he receives all the glory. So as I go, just keep on helping people experience and express God's glory, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it happens, just keep aiming at that. Let me pray that you will. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done in me to be even able to to preach a sermon like this and feel so passionate about it. Um, in the years leading up to being the pastor of this church, the lead pastor of this church, I don't think I would have thought any of this. And you opened my eyes, Lord. And I think it's been, um, man, uh, Jerry right here and I were talking about uh, this this thing that gets said a lot about our church, even in the hard years that we've gone through the last few years, Lord, but there's always this, this thing people will say, there's something special about Creekside. Um, even people who have left us, there's something special about Creekside. Even God, people, it, it, we've served as a transitional church to so many people where they were out of church, came back, went to our church for a little while, moved on. And, and they, they sense it and they feel it and it compels them to be a part of church again. And, and God, what I think it is, is just that thing that happened over coffee with Brandon all those years ago. At the heart of it is just that our aim is your glory, uh, not our enjoyment, not getting more people in the doors, your glory, Lord. And I pray that that thing that I think has made this church special to a lot of people will continue to be the thing that makes this church special to a lot of people. Lord, my, my sense is that this church after I leave is going to look very different 
but it's going to excel. Uh, I think you're leading this change. I think you're behind. It's clear to me. I don't think. I know you're leading this transition. Um, and it's hard, you know, as our ministry leaders kind of sort things out. And it's difficult emotionally for people that are in front of me. My grandma, you know, it's emotional. And it's, it's sad for us as a family. And we're scared that I don't even know how to do this next job, God. But I'll figure it out, I hope. But it's, there's a lot of stuff here, God. But my, my gut tells me that what happens next is that this church continues to move forward in a really beautiful and profound way. And as it does, Lord, I pray that the intentions would stay the same. It would be about your glory, your glory, Lord. God, I pray this almost every week and this week... I think I presented the gospel less clearly than normal, but I want to pray for those watching online, those sitting in front of me that haven't given their life to you, God, who think, why would I live for the glory of God? I pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself right now and they'd be compelled to at least consider becoming a Christian because, Lord, it will change their lives. And I think that one of the things that will change about them is that they would stop living for self, which never is that satisfying. And they begin to live for you and your glory, Lord. And that changes everything. The most satisfying thing we can do in this life is to stop living for ourselves and to begin to live for you. Lord, I think so much of what happens in churches with the infighting is that people, people forget that it's about you and they make it about themselves. And so every little decision that they don't, like it becomes this thing that they can argue over God. And I think it's one of the reasons that churches drift so far from what seems like churches should be about, become these great, they become these great production agencies, Lord, because they've forgotten it's about you. And churches, God, won't preach the fullness of the gospel, nor will they preach the morality that you have given us in your word because in some ways they've forgotten what it's about. They want to, they want to get more people in the doors, Lord, but they forget that it's not about that. It's about you and your glory, Lord. And I pray that Creekside Bible Church, whatever form it takes next, would be about pleasing you for your glory, Lord. Just let this continue to be a special church. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.